Welcome to Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Mikey Ruckus. And now, here is your host, Rob Haspani. Welcome to another edition of the Squared Circle Pit here on Metal Injection. It's Rob. Happy to be here with you. And thank you for joining me. I have a great guest. I have the man who is responsible for AEW's theme songs, Mikey Ruckus. He's going to be on the show. We're going to be talking about making AEW themes, his new album, Bring the Ruckus, and just his favorite themes, his favorite metal. It's a great conversation. And thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time, tuning into the squared circle pit i highly recommend you check out the archives i've had some incredible episodes these last few weeks and i hope you can tune in uh i've had triple h on i've had edge seth rollins chris jericho i had john moxley on a few months ago he gave a great interview in in the past i've had bubba ray dudley eric bischoff kenny omega and uh comedian brian posein and metalheads like Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse talking about wrestling, Jamie Josta, Corey Taylor from Slipknot, Tools, Maynard, James Keenan, lots of great guests. Go to metalinjection.net slash squared circle pit for all the archives. I'm going to get to my interview right now with Mikey. And afterwards, stick around. I got some opinions about what's going on in the world of pro wrestling, what The Undertaker has been saying, and a few other things. But first, very, very excited to have Mikey on the show. He has a new album out. The guy is responsible for the majority of the theme music you hear in AEW right now. And he talks about his process, and he talks about some of his favorite music. It was a great conversation, and I'm glad I had a chance to talk to him. Here's Mikey. Now entering the squared circle pit, I'm very excited to speak to a musician, a composer, a, a man of many talents, uh, Mikey Ruckus. Thank you for entering the squared circle pit on Metal Injection. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. And uh, the new album is called Bring the Ruckus. It's out now on E1. And I was listening to it, and I'm definitely getting like uh, Max Cavalera-ish, Sepultura, Static X vibes. Uh, I like that you're you're embracing the new metal sound <laughs> and bringing it back in a way. I I'm digging it. Absolutely. And that, you know, that genre was always something that really cl I clung to. And uh, at, when it came time to put together my own album, I just felt like it was time, you know, we, we have been away from that for so long and there's just so much energy there and, you know, people that are listening to it now, you know, the, the, the comments that I get to, uh, in regards to it are, oh my God, I, I, this is the sound that I had when I was in high school. So you, you immediately hit that nostalgic factor. It tickles that, that nostalgic funny bone. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I wanted to just create an album that was just nonstop energy, nonstop fun. You can use it as a workout regimen, you know, those types of things, just, catchy hooks, big power riffs, and just overall good, positive, strong energy. Definitely. And, you know, uh, def I like that you mentioned the workout thing. I could definitely see that. And I like that, you know, with metal now, uh, there's an aversion to melody and clean vocals. So I like that that's like some of the hooks are, are, are really like earworms. They've gotten stuck <laughs> in my head as well. And I mean, that's what you do, right, with with AEW. And but before we get to AEW, I want to ask, were you a new metal kid growing up? Like, like did you get into wrestling first or, or, or metal first? I was a pro wrestling fan as a kid. And uh, I had grown up into it and I kind of got away from it in the mid 2000s when I started to venture into the mixed martial arts industry. Uh, but I my first metal experience, I was 13 years old and I saw 
Metallica on their and justice for all tour with the cult opening up for them. So that immediately I was kickstarted into like the metalhead genre before that, as a kid, I was kind of eclectic. So, you know, I'm from a Puerto Rican household. So my mom had Spanish music playing all the time. My oldest sister was big into the new wave and this is in the the mid to to later eighties. My sister, my older sister was big into a little bit of everything. So the, uh, the British new wave uh, pop music was hitting at that time. Uh, A lot of the, the classic rock, like Aerosmith was making a comeback. Guns N' Roses was just getting launched. And then you had like the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. So all that stuff was pretty hot. And then when I hit that Metallica concert, it kind of changed everything. And uh, I just at that point, I I consumed as much music as possible and really didn't. I kind of dabbled with music from my teenage years up into my mid 20s. But I really didn't start to put it together until right around 2010. So, so you were doing uh, compositions and writing music uh, for almost ten years now, eleven years, I guess. And then, uh, how did the how did the whole AEW thing come about? How did you get in contact with those guys? Well, right around 2010, and this was kind of more out of a need of uh, survival. I was looking to uh, f- to find a way to supplement my income. I was a retail manager at the time, uh, but I was looking for a way to supplement my income. And the only thing I was really good at, and, and I don't even really think I was really that good at it. I just, I just decided I'm going to make music. I'm going to make custom music and I'm going to charge for it. So I started from scratch. And at that time I was in the mixed martial arts industry and I started networking very small in the regional and local scale and creating custom entrance themes for mixed martial arts fighters, amateur fighters, pro fighters, about a year and a half in, I ended up working with fighters in the UFC and it just kind of snowballed from there. Went from the UFC to the All Women's Fight League Invicta uh, Invicta Fighting Championships, uh, and then in 2015, it really started to kind of blossom. I landed with uh, drum and bass metal DJ Zardonic. We did the theme song for World Series of Fighting on NBC Sports, and right around the 2016 uh, time frame the MMA market started to kind of scale back a little bit, and then I noticed that the independent pro wrestling industry was in a boom. It was in a boom period. The only problem was is that the, the market necessarily in terms of financial rewards were not exactly what it was in MMA. So I just decided to start over again. I, I changed up my, my pricing structure and it was all about market share at that point. It was about going out and networking all over again. I figured I had done it once. I can do it again. So between 2016 and 20, early 2019, that whole entire thing just exploded. I ended up doing over 200 theme songs. Uh, for wrestlers in the U.S. and the U.K. And uh, when AEW was announced, again, I was still working in retail at the time. I was working like 60 hours a week running a a retail store. I had 30 different employees that that reported to me. I was still doing the music on the side. When AEW was announced, I just felt like it it was time. And, you know, you always try to pitch to the big ones. You always kind of hope for the best. But you have that foundation that if it doesn't work out, you know, you keep doing what you do and and hopefully things connect. But for whatever reason, when AEW is announced, I saw Dustin Rhodes put a tweet out. I just I knew it, it was time. So I did some some networking and we had some conversations. And next thing you know, it's like May of 2019. I would join full time with All Elite Wrestling. It's been fast forward lightning speed ever since then. 
That's great. You, you touched on a lot there. <laughs> so I, I do want to, <laughs> I, I want to get back to, to a few things. Uh, the first one being like where you said, uh, I guess I was good at it. I want to, I want to kind of lie. I think it's not necessarily that you guys, it was something you enjoyed that people were like, Hey, this works. So you're like, I'm going to pursue that. And I think that's a, a, a very, uh, good motivation point to other struggling artists of who also probably have, you know, retail jobs or jobs where it's like the job is there just to facilitate making money to do what they want to do. But then you still ex explored what you truly wanted to do, what you enjoyed doing for money uh, on the side and, and made that work to a point where you could quit your job uh, full time. Sure. And, and what at the basis of everything, and it's just like, it's, you have to have sort of like an entrepreneurial spirit, when it, mm -hmm. when it comes to this, because you are your own product, you are your own brand. You have to establish your brand. Young musicians that are looking to put music out, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But for me personally, it was in terms of how can I reach as many people as I can? How can I be as expressive as I can, not be pigeonholed into a specific genre, but experiment and learn? And how can I just build on that. And it's, you know, you, you have a lot of no's for every 5,000 no's, there's going to be one. Yes. If you get that one, yes, you do everything in your power to make sure that that person on the other end is happy with the end result. And you just continue to learn every single process that you take is a learning. It's a learning curve. It's a learning process step-by-step step, and you just, you grow. Next thing you know, it's three years in and you know, you have your workflow, you have your ideas, you have your, you know how to turn the switch on and turn it off and just go. Yeah, it's, it's almost like uh, working out uh, or like building a muscle. The more you do it, the the more you know what mistakes to avoid and, and how to just uh, have the process done quickly. I love that. That's great advice. So I want to ask, what makes a great entrance theme? You've done now, I'm guessing, over 300 entrances if you've done 200 before it. Or like, what's the total now? I did over. I did right right around two fifty independently uh, in the independent scene. In terms of AEW in the last two years, I want to say right around a little over one hundred and twenty, maybe one hundred and thirty. Wow. We package them as albums, you know. But before I get into that, the cool thing is, is like AEW has given me the opportunity to experiment and create more mileage out of one theme song. So we don't just have to have a theme and then it goes away. We can remix it. We can play it up. We can do 8-bit remixes of it. Uh, like if it sounded like it was on Nintendo, we can do symphonic uh, orchestrations. So those things like that. But to me, a great theme song has to be something that carries the story. So you, it's all about telling the story of the character. And there's a, a bunch of different ways you can do it. Some people say that you have to have the opening sting. You have to have uh, the melody that stays with you after the music is turned off and all of those things are true. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure you're creating an impact and you're creating a bridge between the character on screen and the audience. And, it, you know, it may not always work out exactly how you want it to in the very beginning, but that's what the tweaks are for. That's what the adjustments are for. Sometimes you hit home runs. Sometimes you have to build up to those home runs. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that, that you say that because I've noticed like some of them, you know, I'll just get them stuck in my head and I'm not even like sure, like, like it takes me a day or two to, to realize what's going on. Like the MJF theme, that, that baseline, the <laughs> dun -dun -dun, like yeah. for weeks, it was stuck in my head at one point. And, and also the, the new uh, Matt Hardy song. I love that, that riff uh, as well. Uh, so when you when you do you just jam and kind of have like this log of riffs or whatever like oh that would be good or 
you just start from scratch with the wrestler. Like you sit there like MJF, you watch a match or whatever, and, and you just come up for something that fits his personality. Well, and every, every interaction is it's a case by case basis. There's really no formula to it. You want to get the information that you need from the, from the, uh, the, the, the talent first. Uh, Matt's in particular is actually my, my latest single ghost town off of my album. When we, uh, he came in as broken Matt Hardy earlier in 2020 and decided to kind of turn that into the extreme Matt. So when he called me up, we talked about some different ideas. He kind of wanted something with the same tempo of the original Hardy Boys theme song with the doom, 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 doom. So we went with tempo and uh, I had just happened to be working on Ghost Town at that time. So I said, well, listen to this riff. It's not exactly the same kick drum, but it's got some some pinch harmonics in it and everything like that. And I hadn't even had lyrics written to it yet or anything. He was just like, I love it. Let's use it. So, you know, I went through the proper channels to make sure it was okay. I said, you know, this is something that's going to be on my album. Is it all right to use this? And the the AEW was like, absolutely, let's do it. So uh, we just kind of built on that, on that aspect of it. And then he kind of gave me free reign to write whatever I wanted to write lyrically. He's like, it's your song. You write whatever you want and, and uh, we'll go that route. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really comes to, just getting the information from from the talent, what story they want to tell, and your job at the end of the day, in, at the end of the day, is to convey that message, convey that story, so it connects with the audience. And uh, th- again, I don't have any banked riffs or anything like that. It's usually right off the top. The moment somebody starts to talk to me, I start thinking about the tempo first. I start thinking about what their gait and what their stature is like when they walk out to the stage. Mm-hmm. And then I just go from there. And it's really weird because everything that I that I hear throughout the day, it's like when you talk about songs being earworms, everything that I hear throughout the day is just rhythms to me. And it always goes back to rhythms. I'm a percussionist at heart. So whether it's the beat that's happening when, uh, you know, when your microwave goes off or <laughs> when you're hitting little right. bumps in the road and things like that, traffic, it, yeah. it always, yeah, it, it always starts with the rhythm. And then I just kind of build on that. I build on melodies. Sometimes I'll sing them into my phone. Sometimes I'll just, I'll know immediately. And uh, I, I don't, I don't really know. There's really no answer because everybody's creative process is different. It just, it happens. And it's like, you kind of learn to turn the switch on. When I get into my office, I don't, I don't fool around. I've always had a workflow and a list of things to do. So when I get in, I turn the lights on, I turn it, power everything up, and then I just go to work. And what happens is what happens. And uh, if I'm not happy with what I'm coming up with, I just start over again. And it's, it can be frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, it's like it's work. It's what we do. We tell stories. Right. And so, like, how long does it take to take two part question? How long does it take to to write a typical song? And what was the fastest turnaround time you had? Like, <laughs> we need the song in an hour or or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. There's been a few of those. So usually a couple of days, if I can, if I can get a couple of days, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, but there are times where we get last minute, like Chris Jericho, <laughs> they called me one day in particular and said, we need a theme for the inner circle. And it's, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and this it's for TV later that night. So I was like, Holy crap. So, and I wasn't even, I wasn't anywhere near my office at all. So I had to turn around and go back home and, and put something together. And so as I'm driving, I'm already thinking about what I want to do. I'm already choosing the sound banks. I'm already choosing the kick drums and the snare drums. I'm choosing the guitar tones right as I'm, as I'm driving. So there's no, you know, you panic for like a split second and then you just, you go. So uh, I think it was like two hours, maybe two and a half hours. 
Uh, I put together the inner circle theme. I sent it up and then I get uh, an email or I get a text message back with a voice text and Jericho's, can you, inner circle. So that's, that's typically how Jericho and I communicate now. It's all voice text and, (laughs) and my wife kind of laughs. She's like, I don't understand how you guys do this, but it's, it's our way. It's our language. And that's how we do it. I noticed last night that there was a remix of MJF and 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 the Judas theme too. I I, I thought that was really really cool. That that uh, actually uh, that happened exactly the same way as I just explained. That Jericho texted <laughs> me Saturday night and said, uh, "Hey, can you do a can you do a remix of MJF and our mashup of MJF song and, and Judas?" And I I laughed immediately because it's after midnight and it's like and I was like. Those are Jericho hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, you're GD right, we can, Chris Jericho. <laughs> so I immediately sent the voice text. I went, and he texted me back with the voice. He's like, yeah, I like that. We can do that. It was back and forth. And I got up the next morning. And actually, I went into the office that night. I looked at my wife. She was like, go play with your friends. so i went upstairs i put something together and i shot it back over to him and he was like well let's let's do this let's work on that so the next morning i I put it together and that was that i mean sometimes that's how it is and especially with tv weekly live uh television production there's no time to really mull over or second guess you just have to do it and you just have to be confident in the choices that you're making it's all about a decision making and uh see what you come up with on the other side that's awesome. That's great advice. And uh, one of the biggest moments in AEW's short history uh, was the debut of Sting. And I feel like you were a big part of that because of the aura that was set with the snow and the lights and, of course, the music. And Sting has a huge, you know, 30-plus year history and very iconic music when he was uh, in WCW with the Symphonics. And then he had a Seek and Destroy from Metallica. And then he had his WWE theme. And I think you did an amazing job of kind of creating something new and, and having the Game of Thrones vibe that you guys were going for, but also kind of giving a nod to his classic themes as well. It was like a familiar thing theme almost. Can you talk about the process? There? Absolutely. So uh, I was, Tony Khan and I were texting back and forth just before Thanksgiving. And it, people would ask me all the time, all the time. They would say, if there was one person you could do a theme song for, who would it be? And I would always say Sting. Sting was always my number one. So Tony and I are texting back and forth. He's like, hey, I, I need you to get started on something. So he gave me a lot of time to think about this. And uh, he said, we have Sting coming. And I and I was only one, from what I understood, I was only one of four people in the entire company that knew. So immediately- How did you feel holding that secret? You know, well, like- Immediately I panicked because <laughs> here I, I've all year long, I've been telling people I want to make music for Sting. And now it's like, okay, I need to shut up. <laughs> people are like, how can you hold on to that secret? It's like, well, number one, I don't want to rob the fans of that surprise. And number two, I'm not trying to get fired. So <laughs> it's real easy when they tell you don't say anything. Nobody knows you don't say anything. So, but I did, I, I, you know, Tony said that he wanted some organs in the beginning and I knew that we were going for the winter is coming vibe. So I went back and I immediately started listening. I said, you know, it, it's, it's too easy to do something like a seek and destroy type riff this, we need something completely different. We need something that not only pays an homage to his past themes, but it needs to be something different all on, all on its own. So again, I went back to the rhythms. 
I listened to his old Crow theme again and got and got familiar with it. And there were certain aspects of that. It was a little bit slower. And what they did with that original, that Crow theme, it started slow. And as he went closer and closer to the ring, it would speed up. Unfortunately, we don't have that type of time in, in today's world with Daly's Place. The walk is a little bit shorter. It's just a platform and some steps. So I wanted to take that and, and kind of speed it up just a tad. But I also wanted to have that big entrance, almost like a 300, the King Returns type deal. And uh, with a cross with like the Night King sort of thing. But then have it just break off into its own song in itself. And and I I took that opportunity to just really... You know, I want to do strings. I want to do woodwinds. I want to do horns. I really want to bring it to this giant crescendo. So, and that's just stuff that I've learned over time and and, and how I hear the flow of things. And uh, it just, it happened to work out. It happened to be a home run. And what an honor it is to to create something for him. That's awesome. And as we wind down, I'm curious, what are some of your all-time favorite entrance themes? Like the ones where you're like, man, I wish I wrote that one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, there's, I always, there's, there's some that stick out to me that I, that I absolutely love. And they're all different kinds. Of course, the Undertaker's, the Undertaker's theme has always been a major one. Goldberg's theme has always been big for me. Um, Finn Balor's, uh, there was just something about that whole entire vibe that there was a there's a whole vibe there. And that's something where you have complete control of the entire audience. Like when you talk about theme music, it's about summoning the emotions of the listener. So that song in itself, just really when when the lights come on, his hands go in the air, like those are moments for me that that are just timeless. And uh, and then another one, I just most recently uh, made a call out about it on on Twitter. Uh, Gorillas of Destiny, like that Gorillas of Destiny theme song makes me want to put my head down and run through walls. It's just something about that whole vibe. Like, I just want to grab and just start ripping stuff down and <laughs> one of those types yeah. of things. So, yeah, for those, those are the ones that always stick out to me. Uh, that's so funny you mentioned that song because, uh, you know, I, I like the song, but then I saw New Japan was in Madison Square Garden and I heard that song, you know, in that insane sound system. And I'm like, wow, this is like, this is just a great song like forget entrance theme it's great but talking about great songs uh last question is like what are some of your bands who are your bands what what what, what are you listening to now what are bands you always go back to that kind of thing i'm stuck in the mid 2000s later 2000s kind of thing i'm not really up on what's current because i spend so much time producing music it's really hard when i step outside to listen sometimes i like i have major ADHD. So it's, it's important for me sometimes to shut off and turn off. So like if I'm with, if I'm with my wife or if I'm, you know, sitting downstairs or, and, and just kind of, or driving, I try, I spend more time listening to podcasts and listening to other producers and other engineers and listening for best practices but if I really had to go back and pick, like Breaking Benjamin's always been a number one for me. Seven Dust has always been a number one for me. Um, the old school Power Man 5000, Sepultura has always been, you know, my my heart. Um, so those are those are those ones that I always kind of refer to. Even Linkin Park, uh, some of their song construction, some of their core constructions. I love listening to that. And then um, even orchestral, like Alan Silvestri. Uh, film, you know, film composers, Alan Silvestri, Hans Zimmer, uh, Harry Gregson Williams. So those, I get into a deeper uh, 
um, exploration with that. I, like I can just close my eyes and listen to different nuances of different instruments. Cause you've got hundreds of things going on there. So, and for me with like my ADHD, it's almost like you've got a million different pieces of a puzzle that you're trying to reach to grab one piece. And as you're reaching to grab that one piece, you see something else that you want to grab. So it's like that with orchestral music for me. And I, I absolutely love it. So that's, I mean, in, in a nutshell, it's a little bit of everything, but it's more on the lines of the older power rock. I, you know, some people call it butt rock. I call it power rock, hard rock, you know, heavy metal, whatever. I, active know. rock. Active rock is like the radio term. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Active, yeah, active rock, you know, disturbed and slipknot and those things, things of those natures. And, and hopefully I can capture that in the music that I create in terms of like my, my albums. I was looking for that, that earlier industrial uh, that industrial metal sound. So that's kind of always been my core. Yeah, you definitely, it definitely comes through like the, the I'm, I'm not surprised by any of the bands you mentioned just uh, after listening to the <laughs> album, because, you know, the, it, the influences are there and there are, you know, for the Sepultura fans in the audience, there are some thick Cavalera riffs in this album. So I really, really enjoyed it. Mikey, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me. It's, it's been so great to talk to you. I'm such a fan of your work. I have such respect for what you do. And thank you for coming here on Metal Injection. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And I'm, I'm happy to chat anytime you want. The new album is Bring the Ruckus. Check it out. Thank you. Thank you, Mikey, so much. And good luck in the future. Thank you, man. Very, very cool. Of course, you can watch AEW Dynamite Wednesday nights on TNT and uh, pick up Mikey's album. It's, it's a fun listen for sure. Give it a stream. It's an interesting time in pro wrestling right now. The Royal Rumble is right around the corner. And uh, personally, I kind of feel like uh, Daniel Bryan's going to win, or at least I hope he's going to win. I'd like to see Roman Reigns or Daniel Bryan. I think that would be a cool match. Uh, otherwise, like with Raw right now, I'm, I'm not too hot about it. I haven't watched it less than i do now in many many years uh smackdown i'm actually very much enjoying i'm enjoying the roman reigns storyline the sasha banks storyline it's actually a fun show it's a fun show especially to watch saturday mornings as opposed to friday nights it's a it's a much easier watch with just fast forwarding through and watch it with breakfast so i've been enjoying that AEW has been fun i'm really uh looking forward to these next couple of weeks this crossover with impact really has piqued my curiosity especially now that there's AEW wrestlers going to impact like private party and they're going to have gallows and anderson wrestling on AEW this week so it should be interesting to see where that goes but i think the big story of the week is the undertaker was on another podcast the joe rogan experience and uh, he said some pretty interesting things. Uh, well, interesting, I don't know, but uh, controversial, let's say. Undertaker, of course, WWE legend, not going to take anything away from him. One of the most metal characters of all time. But personally, I kind of felt like after he lost that match to Brock Lesnar, and specifically after he came back to have that fe mini feud with Brock Lesnar, uh, and they had the Hell in the Cell where they like ripped out the ring, that was around the point where the Undertaker, to me, it was just like, Dude, maybe you should retire. Like, with all due respect. And hey, he can do whatever he wants. I, like, I'm just giving my opinion as a fan of how I felt watching him. You know, I don't hold it against him that, you know, he collected as much paychecks as, as WWE was willing to give him. But it just stopped. I stopped being interested. And and the more that he stuck around, the kind of more he, I felt like this kind of go away personally. And and lately, like, getting to know uh, what the, the Undertaker... It's kind of like it's kind of I don't know it, it, it it's a bit of an eye roll to me. Uh, he called the current product c 
kind of soft on the Joe Rogan experience. And I always like roll my eyes when I hear that. that that's such a lame put down. And, and, and this is someone who obviously has uh, his critique. I have my own critiques of WWE as well, but I would my critique would be it's soft. You know, he's, he, one of the quotes is they're trying to put something out for everybody. Some guys are into the comedy shit. There's other guys that want to see the more hardcore type fighting. I think one of the biggest things that happens, we all got old at the same time. So there weren't enough guys to work with the young guys, which oof, uh, you got too many people that are like, these guys are on the Internet. Sam, pretty fucking good. OK, well, you can listen to them or you can listen to somebody that's been there and done it. <laughs> you can't help it. But there's just not enough merging of the young and new talent. When we had Stone Cold and The Rock and Triple H, and Charles Michaels, all those guys, we were working together and we were making money and we were trying. Then we all just aged out. I hung in there for a long time, but we kind of aged out and left all the young guys to learn with more young guys. And the product changed. Well, yeah, it's better now, <laughs> right? And the wrestling now is better than it's ever been. And there's plenty of tough guys. Like, Keith Lee's right. He's a fucking tough guy. Kevin Owens. There's plenty of brawlers. Uh, and, and really, I, he's talking about WWE specifically. But, I mean, if you look at New Japan, they got some of the best tough guys in the biz. But the whole thing is, like, calling it soft is such a lame uh, I'm not even going to, you know, it, it's just such an eye-rolling thing, like, if you really start to assess what he's saying. And, and, and it really goes to something else that he talked about, uh, which was a more controversial quote, uh, where The Undertaker said that the backstage has changed, and he goes, In the era of guys, those were men back in the day, he says. You go into a dressing room nowadays, and it's a lot different. I remember walking into my first real dressing room, and what I saw were some crusty fucking men. Half of them had guns and knives in their bags. Shit got handled back then. Now you walk in, there's guys playing video games and fucking making sure they look pretty. It's evolution, I guess. I don't know what it is, but it's, I just like those errors, man. I liked when men were men. This is the dumbest fucking quote I've ever heard. Like, like God forbid the uh, locker room now is now a welcoming environment where there aren't people with guns and knives. And, and, and you know, The Undertaker, if you l watch shoot interviews and watch other uh, wrestlers talk about their experience in WWE, no, granted, some of them not as, nowhere near as successful and, and might have a, a bone to pick or, or whatever. But a lot of these stories sound the same. The Undertaker was known as quite a bully. And, and he would actually, he would be the judge of something called wrestler's court, where if you slighted a veteran wrestler, they would take you to this court where the Undertaker was the judge. And it was under the guise that this was a silly thing, but this was very, very serious. And then you would kind of get hazed and ordered to like carry someone's bags around or get buy the beer forever you know it could be silly but sometimes it got very serious so like all this stuff is so lame and, and to complain about guys playing video like video games now as opposed to what being doped up and like have half the roster dying of an overdose like what are you complaining about dude and again it's his right to complain just like it's my right to read his complaint and complain about his complaint that's the beauty of this country and the whole podcast universe <laughs> that we are in. So those are my thoughts. I'd love to hear yours. You can, of course, hit me up on Twitter at Robin Chection and Squared Circle Pit is on all the social medias. I've been posting really fun. Uh, I've been trying to post really fun archival wrestling and rock and wrestling themed photos that I've been collecting recently. You can check out Squared Circle Pit on Instagram, on Facebook and on Twitter. There's no E in circle in Squared Circle Pit. It's just on the Twitter page. 
That's all for this time. I will be back in two weeks, and I already have an interview. I have a guest lined up. I can tell you what it is, and it's really, really fun. James Durbin, formerly of American Idol. He's now a solo metal artist. He did a track with Chris Jericho. We're going to talk about his love for professional wrestling, and the guy is a diehard wrestling fan. So it'll be a great interview. That's going to be in about two weeks. Thank you, as always, for sticking with Squared Circle Pit, and I'll see you soon.